Hi, I'm Ben Richardson, and you're listening to the Karate Podcast, where we talk about karate, the competitive sport of Kumite, and the warrior's journey. Brought to you in association with Kumite Coach, the world's first progressive online high-definition coaching platform, created by coaches and fighters for coaches, fighters, and students of karate. Join kumitecoach.com today and take your karate to the next level. Okay, guys, so welcome to another episode of the Karate Podcast. I am absolutely over the moon today to have with me uh, George Katakasensei, who is two times WKF world champion, um, also the founder of Kumite Academy, which is a great online platform, which I've been a member of for a couple of years. I highly recommend everyone check that out. Um, George is a profound teacher. I've followed him on YouTube and online, and um, I'm just thrilled to have him here today. So, George Sensei, thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for for having me, um, giving me this um, amazing opportunity. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, so, George Sensei, if we could just start with uh, finding out how you know you, you got into karate, what what the story is there, um, just at, you know, in in the beginning. Yeah, for sure. Um, I began karate at the age of three years old. And how that all started was um, my father immigrated from from Osaka, Japan in uh, 1965. And uh, originally he was uh, supposed to be traveling from Hawaii, going to Australia, and then eventually moving over to South Africa. And he was going to just be going around year to year and teaching. Um, But when he came to Hawaii, he just fell in love with the islands. Uh, with the culture, with the people, with the weather. Yeah. And uh, he decided from then this would be his next home. And uh, one year later, he established our school, which is uh, the International Karate Federation in 1966. So uh, my father's been doing martial arts ever since he was a kid. It runs in our family. Um, and, uh, you know, ever since I was a kid, uh, it wasn't really forced upon me. You know, he, he would just bring me to the dojo and uh, let me do some of the warm-ups, uh, I'm sorry, um, you know, some of the activities. And I, I don't even think at that age I was actually doing a full class, you know, just came in, had fun, got to watch and observe all the other kids or all the other students. And then that's how I got kind of got hooked, you know. It yeah. wasn't really forced upon me at a young age to be like, hey, you have to be doing this or you have to take this path. So um, it was very, very natural. And um and I just, I guess I fell in love with it, you know, just following my father day to day to the practices and uh, just picked it up one step at a time. Yeah, fantastic. And um, so we, we know that you're a, a world committee champion uh, twice over, which is an incredible achievement. Um, but you, you also practice all aspects of uh, karate, right? Yes, for sure. Um, so in our dojo, we, um, my father puts a pretty heavy emphasis on kata and also Koboro as well. So we try to focus on all three different disciplines. Um, you know, obviously certain students will probably gravitate towards maybe one side, like some people like to fight, some people like to, you know, immerse themselves more in kata, but um, we try to have our, you know, more of a traditional type of background first. Yeah. And if you want to excel in certain areas, then we can push you to that kind of avenue, but we try to be very well-rounded. Fantastic. And did, did you yourself, uh, compete in both kata and kumite or have you always 
um, move towards Kumite for competition? Um, yes, even into my, my early adult, even uh, into my 20s, I would still compete, especially at the AAU Nationals, uh, which is one of the two national championships. I would still compete in Kobodo, Kata, and Kumite. Now, when I went over to the other federation, which was called the USNKF at the time, um, I specifically uh, specialized in Kumite because that I knew that federation was the governing body for me to go to the WKF. Uh, so right. I strictly just did, um, well, I did a kata a couple of years over there, but um, eventually I just transferred all the way over to Kumite, yes. And was there a specific event or circumstance that, that uh, pushed you towards one versus the other? Um, no, actually, it's just... Um, I think I've always felt that I was a I was a better, you know, person at Kumite. Yeah. I really like the the aspect of competing against somebody, that real exchange between skill, you know, heart and effort. You know, um, I really like that. But the funny thing is now that I actually, now that I've been retired and now that I focus more um, on my students, I really enjoy kata more you know i still have a huge love for kumite and that would always be my passion and my what i'm the best at but um like how my father was saying or trying to teach us to be well-rounded i'm looking at ways now how i can become a better kata um teacher and so forth so i'm always researching asking questions to senseis that i know or competitors that are on the national team or you know just networking so that um, I'm kind of, you know, continuously growing as a, as a teacher, as a student. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, and, um, obviously you've, you've grown up in the islands of Hawaii, which is very remote, um, mm -hmm. you've, you know, and so I presume the population there isn't huge, but you've managed mm -hmm. to attain a, a, a supremely high level in your committee. How did how did you develop that um, experience and skill set, and where where did your competition sort of start and and take you to? Yeah, you know, um, when I grew up, um, I grew up during you know the eighties, and during that time was I would consider my father's golden age as far as as his, his students. You know, mm. in the eighties, we had many many adult men's and women's black belts. And there were a lot, a lot of great people to aspire to. And, you know, my mentor, his name is Sensei John Limkako. Uh, he's, he's our head instructor at our Sacramento, California dojo. But he was um, an amazing, not only amazing um, athlete and competitor, but just an amazing human being, really took me under his wing. So, you know, my mentor, Sensei John Limkako, was just a very huge inspiration. And... Um, you know, that really catapulted me to, to aspiring to be great and to envision like what I could be in the future. Um, I think just the groundwork was laid out before me. So even though as I was coming up through the ranks, when I became, um, when, I, when I got onto the national team or the senior national team, I was the, pretty much the oldest one in the dojo and everybody else was teenagers. But I really relied on just repetition after repetition because the majority of the people that I would compete and spar with was in the dojo, but they weren't at a world-class level. But I remember just always thinking to myself, like, I got to get my skills refined. 
I got to be stronger, sharper, more explosive than anybody else so that when I do compete on an international level, there won't be that gap, you know? So even though the competitors in my dojo maybe weren't at my level, I've always just felt like every time I would go to practice, I would just go 110%, just really refining, becoming sharper and stronger. Um, And then I just wanted to be the very best, you know, that just that, that aspiration inside of me. And that, you know, a lot of times took me really, really far, just a mindset. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. And was was John in the dojo with you alongside your father as uh, the two kind of main coaches there? You know, um, during my my beginning from since I was three all the way to about when I was maybe 15 or 16, mm-hmm. he was uh, there at the dojo pretty much every single day. And then when I was 15 or 16, he did move to California. And that's where I really had to, you know, my mentor had moved to another state even though you can call them and so forth, it's not the same as physically having somebody there. So I had to grow up really fast in the sense that I became like the, the instructor of the dojo. There were still other older senpais there, but um, you could see like my trajectory that I was going to start to take over some of the classes to teach. Um, and I really had to juggle with being a instructor, but also still staying humble enough to be a competitor and still learning, you know? So it was a difficult time, but, um, you know, I think I managed okay, you know, and um, try to balance the two be- as far as being an instructor and also pushing myself to be a student and, and a competitor. Yeah. And with, was there a lot of travel involved for you being on the islands to get to tournaments and to, you know, get experience enough to compete? You know, um, we did definitely travel to Japan a lot because my, my father had a lot of connections um, still back to, to, you know, to Japan. So we would travel once, maybe twice a year to go and do, uh, competitions. Um, and then nationally, you know, uh, there's two nationals per year, but I wouldn't say we were extremely, um, competitive in the sense that we would travel every other month or every month to an event, say like you were in Europe, there's yeah. events that are going on all the time. Yeah. So, I would say that my experience was a little bit less than the current competitor right now, but um, I just, just, you know, did what I was, you know, or how would you, how would you say, uh, I just accepted what my path was and what were the circumstances and just made best of, made best of it. Yes. That's amazing. Um, I'm just, it, it just amazes me because we, you know, I've talked to a couple of uh, world champions on previous podcasts and there is that uh-huh. sense of that they're always, you know, competing. They're always around other competitors. They're always, uh, you know, having to travel to different tournaments and events to get the, the standard up to the right level. But it seems to me that you've kind of had to do that in isolation. Um, exactly. You know, and, and find the level for yourself. So, I mean, that's that's quite incredible. And is there anything you, you, you did particularly that you feel is maybe different to what the average competitor would would do um you know i know there is definitely an advantage to to definitely competing more and keeping yourself within the mix you know um even even if you're not meddling just to have your face exposed to the referees Mm. um you know means a lot you know and there's a weight to that and you're always always there but during my my time um that wasn't the case. And it's a funny thing is I've actually been to 
I believe, seven world championships, but I haven't even been to as many Pan American championships. Right. So, so at the time when I was competing, you know, nowadays, you, you know, you compete at every single continental championships. And then if you do, you're lucky enough to be the top guy to go to, to the world championships. Right. But I've actually competed in more worlds than Pan Americans, uh, which is a crazy, it's almost backwards, Yeah. but I've been more successful at the worlds than actually in the Pan Ams. So I've won two golds in WKF, but my record in Pan Ams is, I believe, is just one gold and I have a bunch of silvers and bronzes and stuff. So uh, I've, you know, I don't know what it, what it was, but I've always been able to compete to bring my level up um, at the biggest stage. You know, um, I've always loved the fact that trying to be the underdog or just performing at a really big stage ever since I was small. I love to do that. I love the pressure. I love the, the tension and the nervousness and whatever that comes with, um, I've always been able to, to kind of channel all of that energy and to just really give it my all um, when it counts. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, um, has there been any moments in either training or um, in competition that made you reevaluate what you were doing and then you, you kind of changed something up or brought something in to help push you on a bit? For sure. Um, there's two times actually, you know, the first time I actually went to the world championships uh, was in 96. And um, that was just a mind blowing eye opening experience. You know, I just knew that I was so many levels below, even though I was a national champion, you know, once you go to the world stage, you really see the cream of the crop. And I knew at that moment that I had to train more. I had to train differently, um, more effectively, efficiently, all of that. So there was a process within that, that first time after competing many, many years of just refining how I'm conditioning, what I'm training, the tactics and so forth. And that's always constantly evolving. Um, and uh, over the years, over the next two or three world championships, you could see that, you know, either I was going into the deeper rounds or actually I was meddling and then finally actually winning the gold. So there was a progression, you know, I, would, I, was, I was in a world champion champion right at the very get-go it was a process of you know getting better and getting better so um it you know it's it's it, it takes time it, it definitely does take time um for that progression it's really hard to come out the gates and just be spectacular yeah yeah absolutely um so 1999 was when you got your pan am gold that mm -hmm. seems to be a, a bit of a turning point maybe on on that top level because a few years later um i think a year later was it you were bronze medalist in the world is that right yes uh-huh in germany um, yes and then then it was gold in 2000 and then later on in 2008 also gold medal so uh, i listened to uh, one of your your uh talks on um kumite academy about um overcoming adversity which i thought you know, it's a great topic for fighters because a lot of fighters feel adversity leading up to a tournament on the day of a tournament and then potentially post-tournament when, you know, they know the next time they're going out, they're, they're going to face a certain type of fighter or a certain individual. Um, could you tell us a little bit, because you, you've got quite an interesting progression in what happened between the Pan Am yes. and the Worlds and the Worlds and the Worlds. So could you tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah, so... After I won in 2002, and this kind of coincides to what you were, the previous question was, but 
after 2002, I really wanted to repeat as a two-time WKF World Champion. Uh, this was in, I believe, in Mexico. And I think I put a lot of pressure on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I was putting a lot of pressure at the time. You know, I was just training really hard. I was so determined. Um, but in retrospect, I probably put too much pressure on myself and um, ended up losing, I think, in the third round or second round. Uh, I think I lost to Alexander Biamonte, another elite, elite level, world-class, famous world champion. Um, and since then, you know, for from 2004 to 2008, there was another world championship, 2006. So this was in Finland. And I was thinking to myself, I'm going to just give it one more shot. You know, um, you know, I already won one world title, which I should be happy enough to have. I lost this, you know, 2004. Let's just do it one more time. Let's see how I do. And um, didn't do too well. I think I lost again in the third or fourth round quarterfinals or something like that. And then after that championship, I really felt like, you know what, maybe it's time to, to hang up the gloves and just focus more on my students help my father and mother's karate dojo family business. So I was still training really hard, but just the mind wasn't there. You know, I just was like going through the motions, you know, not really wholeheartedly committed to let's go another two more years for 2008. And I was in such limbo every single day, it would be on my mind, you know? Um, And then I remember, you know, one day, it was in the morning. I was actually just taking a shower and the same thoughts ran into my head. You know, are you going to compete or are you going to just retire? And something clicked that day. And I basically told myself, you know, stop pitying yourself. Stop making excuses. You have to choose right now whether or not you're going to hang up the gloves or let's go for two more years. And at that moment, I just told myself, let's just do it let's let's commit to it two more years and let's see the results and we'll retire in 2008 and um from that moment on the 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 mindset i would come into every single session was so much different just the mentality attacking just the the way i would you know attack every session was so much more intense and with more passion and motivation and um I told myself, no matter win, lose in Tokyo, you're going to be happy. At least you really put your whole heart into it. And, you know, luckily I came out on top and that was, uh, that was just an amazing way to go out. You know, I couldn't ask for a better, better, you know, sail off, you know? Yeah. yeah I was going to say, I mean, um, having Japanese parents and Japanese heritage and um, retiring and winning in, in Tokyo, and that must have been just incredible. Yes. You know, I think that was probably one of the best gifts I could give my father and my family. Because when I won in 2002 in Spain, he wasn't there. Right. Um, so he didn't really get to see that, you know. Um, so when he came in 2008, you know, you have all of his old school, you know, karate friends. Um, we have family there. So um, just for him to see that. You know, I think um, 2002 was really special because it's, it's the first, yeah. but 2008 was, um, I would say, even a little bit more just because I got to show my father, our family and our friends like that I was able to do it. So it, that was um, truly special. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Um, 
and actually one of the the things I was referring to before was um I think for was it the before I wrote it down somewhere let me check so I don't sound sure, bad no problem but um yeah two two in 2000 you you got the the bronze at the worlds I think you lost to a Spaniard but you beat that same yes. Spaniard in 2002 and I, yes. and I think was the same true of the Pan Ams you'd be you'd lost yes. to a guy and then you beat the same guy exactly so, yes can you can you tell us how do you frame that as a as an athlete because you know you've got that pressure of having lost to someone but you managed twice to to then beat someone yes. at a high level like in a in a high level competition um you managed to turn that around so that that's quite a, a feat yeah. in itself. so the first time you lose to somebody right you go into it not knowing what's going to happen obviously you feel like you have a good chance of winning so when it first happens there's no real pressure but once you know that you lost um that thought process always kind of creeps back into mind right like every time you're thinking if i do face that guy he already has one notch on you but um i truly truly feel the great ones somehow muster up the energy and the spirit and the the fortitude to erase all of that not completely erase it, but it's still in the back of your head, but using that as motivation. And when I had the opportunity in 2002 to fight the Spaniard, uh, Romero, um, in his, in his country, you know, with the fans are just going crazy. Um, like I, like I told you before, I love that pressure. I love it when everybody's counting me out. Yeah. And, you know, instead of being nervous, it's a time to shine. And if you do overcome that, once you do that, you will have that experience ingrained in you. And you can always take that feeling to another time that you've lost. And then you can overcome that battle again. Once you develop the fortitude and you have that experience, you can go back and think, I remember what I did two years ago, four years ago. I can muster up all of that confidence and that ability and let's put it out right now at this moment. So, you know, that's how I've always thought, you know, I never thought like, Oh, I would lose again. And he was so good at that. And he just had my timing. It was always a thing where I was like, now it's my time to redeem myself, you know? Yes. Yeah. That's great. Um, can you, obviously you're, you're a coach now. Um, how you guide your fighters now to peak for competition is that the way you would have done it yourself or have your thoughts changed around how people should prepare for those bigger events you know the preparation is very very much similar you know we're 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 training roughly three months out before competition Mm -hmm. and obviously through each week and through each month sessions starts to the intensity starts to ramp up but um obviously tactics what types of techniques are being thrown at the WKF level are definitely different from my time. So obviously the, the technical side, it's a little bit, you know, different as, as far as what, what are we throwing, what techniques are being scored upon. Yeah. But as far as the approach, um, mentally, physically, it's very, very similar, very, very similar. And then I always have talks with my students um, during post, even pre-workout about how to mentally 
get yourself up for the competition or, you know, even when you're not having a great session, what you can take away from that. So they're not only developing physically, but mentally, I'm somehow still in their head uh, subconsciously telling them this is the path. This is the way you should be thinking um, during times of adversity, during times of positivity. Um, So the approach is fairly much the same, but as far as the techniques, yes, you know, the the strategy and so forth, they they possibly may be a little different. Yes. Great. Um, The the gap you obviously had between 2000 and 2008 uh, that's a, that's a massive kind of challenge to overcome. Is it? Is it anything else that stands out from your career that was a you feel is one of the bigger challenges you had to take on as a fighter or just karateka in general? You know, I think that gap was definitely um, by far the hardest. Um, you know, maybe earlier in my in my earlier teens, um, coming up through the ranks, I was you know doing so well. And maybe around, maybe around 12, 13, 14, around there, we had a really strong group of teenagers or, you know, uh, students around my age. And then what started happening was I started to lose. And uh, another story about adversity, you know, um, I would go in and train even harder every day, knowing that I lost the last competition to my, to my teammate. And uh, thinking that I was pushing really hard and then still go to the local competition, you know, in-state competition, still would lose sometimes when, and, uh, you know, I kind of, you know, was getting in a little rut. I just felt, you know, I wasn't like on top of things at all times, you know, I, where I was consistently winning all the time and now I'm winning sometimes and so forth. But the main thing is to keep at it, you know, um, even if you're not a competitor, even if you are, um, in your karate career, there's going to be adversity. And even that's the main story about life as well. You will hit adversity and life is hard. You know, people say life is good, but honestly, life is difficult. Life is hard. And, you know, everybody has, has felt that, you know, this past year with the pandemic more so, but um, if you have fortitude and if you train hard, you can use all the things that you learn in karate to keep yourself grounded mentally stable no matter which way you start to pull you have the you know the fundamentals to come back and then refocus yourself and get yourself back on um, on the right track yeah absolutely and it, um has the pandem- pandemic did it affect uh hawaii as much as it has over here have, have you guys for sure you know that training as far as overall you know the amount of occurrences amount of incidences we have is very small um in relation to like other states that we have or other countries but um our state is very strict and we've had restrictions and lockdowns and so forth so we're currently in like a tier system a four-tier system and we're just basically on the second tier um which only allows 25 percent capacity um, to open up um so it's been really really difficult most of my training sessions are on zoom online yeah. Um, the only place that we do have open is the Hombu Dojo because it's a commercial place. All of our other locations that are out of public schools, private schools, mm. they won't allow us to come back in because there's so much liability, so much risk. So it's only our Hombu Dojo that we're able to open and actually, you know, funnel students in. But it's it's a lot of work. You know, you have to keep the dojo clean. 
Um, you're constantly doing that sanitizing and then, you know, trying to fit as many kids as possible while following the guidelines, holding more classes per day. Um, so it's, it's been rough. It's been rough, but like I said, I'm always been optimistic and, um, I think that 2021 is going to be hopefully a better year. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. And, um, obviously it was incredible news for, uh, Karate with the, um, announcement that it was going to be in last year's Olympics, which is <laughs> this year's Olympics. Uh, have you got any thoughts around karate as an Olympic sport? You know, as a kid, I've always wanted to be um, an Olympian. You know, I mean, every four years you would watch on TV, you know, the, 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 the highest caliber of athletes, whatever sport it may be. And it was always it was a very inspirational time. And I've always wanted to, to be a part of the Olympics. Um, you know, obviously that time has passed. Um, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for karate, you know, obviously, you know, there's always a debate about what is traditional karate and what is sport karate and where sport karate or WKF karate, how it's moving to, that's, you know, maybe another discussion, but yeah. in general, for the most part, I'm very happy for karate. We'll be, be able to get some nice exposure. Um, and uh, I'm really happy to, to have, um, you know, to see those athletes go out there and fulfill their dreams and um, perform at the biggest stage. For, for myself, it was the world championships, but now the Olympics is the biggest stage. So um, I'm looking forward to it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't wait. You know, I think um, it's, it's one of those sports that um, people obviously know about karate, but seeing it as a sport, I think it's a great spectator sport. You know, there's a lot going on. Uh, I hope it shines sure. a strong light on our sport because uh, I think it'll be fantastic. Um, so tell me a little bit about uh, Kumite Academy because you've had this online um, academy for a few years now. Um, I've been a member of it myself and a couple of my friends have as well. Um, how did that begin for you? Um, that just started, you know, after post-retirement and, uh, just figuring out ways how I could get some of my teachings across worldwide. And, you know, right after I, I retired, I started to do a lot of seminars. I would do maybe um, eight to 10 seminars per year, whether it's locally, whether it's nationally, or just going abroad internationally. And um, that took a lot of time away from my dojo. Um, yeah. And it's great to network and it's great to inspire other people from all around the world. And I love doing that. And, I, and to this day, I still miss it. But the amount of volume that it was taking from me was a lot. And I could see that my students, the people who actually pay me for my teachings, um, you know, I'm leaving every other month or every month I'm going away for four or five days or so forth. So um, I wanted to 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 reach out to people, you know that you know I could still be at home still influence my students but also still be able to have that reach and that's why um, I started the Kumite Academy and just started to break down everything from most basic way of how to stand how to throw punch combinations speed drills agility drills tactics um, so um, that became a real big passion of mine and um, I love it because the way I teach is very technical. I, I try to be as most technical as possible. Yeah. I just don't think like you just got to lift weights and just become explosive. There's a, there's a, there's a 
technical biomechanic way how to move your body how to generate speed how to generate power yeah. um so i've always enjoyed trying to send that information or to 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 give that information even through my seminars you'll see that i try to be as technical as possible so yeah. it kind of just went hand in hand yes yeah great um i think it's a great platform um it's committeacademy.com is that correct People yes it is that out. that'd be awesome um, I also wanted to just touch on, I believe you are an exponent of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as well. Yes. Um, so obviously you've managed, yes, to find for sure. it. you've managed to find the time to do this alongside uh, the karate. I, I myself do uh, Jiu-Jitsu. Um, I know quite a few karate guys actually in the UK that are also doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. What was it that, that drew you to that particular art? Um. Well, the first time was one of my um, other senseis. Uh, he actually, I think this was in the late 80s. He gave me this VHS tape. And uh, I know most people don't know what VHS is, but um, he said, you know, I want you to come check this out. This is uh, called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. So I popped it in and I think it was the Gracie in action number one or two video. And I watched the whole entire thing. and. He, that instructor told me that, that one of the brothers, Helsing Gracie, is actually now had moved to Hawaii and has started this Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So that was my first exposure to Jiu-Jitsu. But later on, um, when I was in high school, one of my best friends, he started taking directly from Helsing Gracie. And what he would do is from my junior year to my, my senior year, he would drag me along maybe like once a week to Helsin's house in his garage yeah. and we would take kind of like these private lessons, you know? And since then I've always been kind of hooked. Um, to be honest, when I was really competing in karate, I wasn't training so much jujitsu. I've always been very off and on, not very consistent with it, but the love I have for jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu um, is still very, very much there. And it's the reason why I love it so much is because with karate, it comes very natural, um, you know, um, I've been doing it all my life, you know, so, you know, it's still fun, but BJJ is difficult for me, you know, um, yeah. it takes time, it takes repetition, it takes, you know, over and over practice so that you get good at it. So when I'm doing BJJ, I feel like I'm a student and that's why I love going to BJJ because in karate, I'm always the teacher. I'm always like, you know, barking the orders. I'm telling students, I don't get to be like, you know, a student. So when I'm at jujitsu, it's like, I'm just absorbing all the information. I, I like to be in that role where I'm just learning from somebody who has much more knowledge than me. So I love that aspect. Yes. Excellent. And do you encourage your uh, karate students to look outside of karate to look at other arts? You know, I try to I try to make sure that my students are well rounded. Yeah. Obviously, if they want to compete at a very high level um, in karate, they're gonna have to make, you know, choices and you know maybe some cuts here and there, you know. But um, it's it's important, you know, to 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 be open minded. And you know, my father at the time, I was actually kind of scared because you know my father is kind of this old school samurai kind of feeling guy, and I you know. I was kind of scared to ask him like, dad, is it okay to, to go and train jujitsu? But he was very, very open to it because he has a, he has a, I think a second degree 
I'm not sure, second or third degree black belt in judo. No. Um, his, his, his younger brother was actually really good in judo as well. Did also karate as well, but um, he was also experiencing Iaido, Kendo. So he's, he has a lot of martial arts background. So when I asked him, he was like, yeah, for sure. You know, why limit yourself to just learning karate, you know, just the family, family business side. So um, I was really happy when he was uh, able to kind of give me his blessings or just said, yeah, why don't you go try it? Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And have, have you done any competition in jiu-jitsu or do you, is it purely a um, something that you just enjoy? You know, at one point, um, you know, when I was going really consistently, I was thinking about doing a jiu-jitsu competition, you know, because uh, me just being very competitive. Yeah, yeah. But um, it never, you know, came about. But I've always felt like um, if I do, I'm going to have to train so hard. I don't, I don't, I have, I have such a high standard for myself that yeah. I can't just be training twice a week and just go into a tournament and lose. You know what I mean? I, I gotta, I gotta go every day or, you know, really immerse myself, you know? So, um, yeah, maybe one day possibly. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. That's great to hear. Um, just a final thing then, I guess, you know, we are in this world pandemic. There's a lot of people out there struggling with their karate right now because um you know it's great that there's a lot online for people to you know try and get into in classes but uh, the lack of contact and i think off also the lack of uh, camaraderie from being at a dojo people are struggling with it so do you just have any advice for for the karateka out there right now yes um well you know i always tell my i've learned this from my parents and it's uh you know, ever since I was small, they always have told me to, in Japanese, they say gaman. Gaman means to endure. Um, and even through times of hardship, difficulty, you know, tragedy, you learn to, to endure and stay the course. No matter how difficult life gets, um, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Even though this pandemic is probably still going to continue on even after we get these vaccines, you know, 2021 still may be a very, very difficult year for us. But in the long term, in the big scheme of things, if we look back, it may be just a short period of time. Like you say you live 80 years, two years is, is not a big deal in the sense right now, because we're in the moment, it's very compounding and there's stress all the time. I mean, it's, it's very stressful, even for myself, still, you know, um, raising a family, having two girls. Yeah. keeping the business alive, doing everything the right way. It's very, very stressful. Everybody um, has to understand that we're all going through it at the same time. But to have the mindset of that, you know what, things will get better. Um, life will get better, but we got to stay really strong and positive. Look for the, for the little things in life that are just, just, um, just special. You know, even, even things like when I'm having a hard day, when I go to the main dojo and things are not going right, students are not working hard, they're not listening to me. I come home and the first thing I do is open that door and then my two girls come in like, daddy, daddy, you know, that in itself erases all of that. It's just, you have to find the things, the little things in life that, that bring a little joy, you know? And karate really is an outlet. Even though we're learning a lot online, Use that moment, whether it's 45 minutes, half hour, an hour, use that moment for yourself to really develop yourself mentally, not only physically, but just mentally 
immersing yourself into the training and you're doing 20 punches, 10 punches, whatever, kicks, give it your best. So when you're done, your body feels like you've really worked out. Your mind is refreshed. You know what I mean? Instead of just looking at it and going through the motions, that's why it's a waste of time. It's if you really put yourself and commit yourself wholeheartedly, your spirit's in it. When you're done, yes, it's still not the same as being in the dojo, but you're still developing your insight. You're still developing your character, your discipline, your focus. All of that is still being developed. You just may not feel it, but it's the process that you all need to take. We all need to take, you know, even as an instructor, when I'm teaching, I can't be given it 75%. I know that every single drill that I do with my white belts, I got to give that energy back. And then in turn, they reciprocate. So that's an important thing to do. Yeah, fantastic. George says it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Um, I hope we can get you back on some point sure. after this pandemic's finished, catch up with you again. Um, I wish you all the best for for the future with the dojo and the family. Um, Great karate training and jujitsu. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much, Ben, for having me. It's been a pleasure and uh, best of luck to everybody out there. Thank you. Bless.